Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I'm a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, Can you keep a knowing how to respond to the question Can you keep a over the following weeks and months. I'm going to take a look at some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. Let's talk about the topic of human trafficking. This is an issue that is in the forefront of many of our minds because it is something that we're hearing about very frequently in the media. Particularly with the lockdown, there has been a lot of discussion and conversation surrounding the issues of exploitation, cyber sex, and the abuse of women and girls, men and boys, all throughout the world. Now, one of the issues we have to understand is that with technology, it becomes a lot easier to be able to commit certain offenses to be able to go undetected. Now, this is a topic that cannot be discussed in just one session only, but we'll have to look at it over a number of weeks and simply pull it apart. Now, today, as I was preparing for this topic, I was wondering how is the best way for me to relay the information in a way that the listeners can understand and truly relate to this problem? The sad reality is that a lot of people disbelieve and misunderstand the words human trafficking. As I've written in my book, Can You Keep a Secret? Quite often, if we watch movies, particularly American movies, and have seen the movie Taken, when we hear of human trafficking, we're thinking of a person being kidnapped, we're thinking of a foreigner, we're thinking of a person being taken, from one location to another location. But the reality is that with human trafficking, although there is a legal definition and the Palermo Protocol, there is no requirement for being moved. And that is one of the things that is key and is important for people to understand. Human trafficking does not require movement. In fact, it could be the recruitment, the harboring, the transporting, transferring, it does not require movement. And so when I travel around the world and I share my topic, I explain to people that any one of us could be trafficked. And I also give this example that let's say, let's imagine for a moment that you were in China. And let's imagine for a moment that ethnically you are not Chinese in your features and you're not Chinese by ethnicity. Your parents, your family members are not Chinese. And I say that because for myself, 
British-born Caribbean. My skin tone, my features are of a black Caribbean individual. If you have similar features to myself, you're from the Caribbean, from Africa, if you were Indian, for example, if you were, God forbid, trafficked in China, you would stand out like a sore thumb. You really would. Why is that? Because you do not have the features, you do not have the build or even the body structure of a Chinese individual because you're not Chinese. Quite simplistically, if a black Caribbean with brown skin and curly afro hair is in China or Japan or the Philippines or Indonesia, they would stand out like a sore thumb because they don't have the features of a Chinese person. Therefore, what I always explain is that it is a lot easier to traffic a Chinese person in China than a black Caribbean in China. What about in India? If a trafficker wanted to be successful at his criminal industry, at the work, loose term, at the work he does of exploiting human beings for benefit and for gain, it would make sense for him to traffic a person from Tamil Nadu in Chennai. Rather than trafficking somebody from Delhi in Chennai, traffic a person from Andhra Pradesh, traffic a person from Chennai, traffic a person from Kerala, because that is the area of Tamil Nadu, for example. When a person's in Chennai, they speak Tamil. When they're in Delhi, they speak Hindi. Now, for those of us who have not spent time amongst the Indian community, who don't have friends, co-workers, colleagues from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, we may falsely assume that Indians, Pakistanis and Bangladeshis all look the same. Nepalis all look the same. And that is ignorant and that is wrong. They are very different in their culture, sometimes in the language, in the community, in the way they dress, behave, they're completely different. And if you mistakenly called an Indian a Pakistani, quite often they would not appreciate that kind of remark. The point I'm making is if a person speaks one dialect, it would make sense for the trafficker to traffic them in an environment, in a place where they can blend in very easily. Because think about it, if that trafficker or pimp takes a Hindu speaking and places them in a brothel in Tamil Nadu or in Chennai or Andhra Pradesh, they will not speak the language. God forbid, God forbid that the police raid this brothel. That woman who is in this brothel would be unable to communicate to the police in a language they understand and say to them, this isn't a brothel. This is my boyfriend. This is where I live if that makes sense. And so we have to understand that pimps and traffickers have been able to get away with exploiting human beings right under our noses and we simply don't realize. There's a book by Nita Bells called In Our Backyard. And that is unfortunately a very true statement that often exploitation, trafficking, abuse is in our very own backyard. In fact, quite recently, I was speaking to a person and I asked them point blank, have you been trafficked? And they told me no. 
And then having spoken to them and delved a little bit more into their background, into their history, into their story, and because they're a believer, into their testimony, they expressed to me, in fact, that they had been sexually abused. And when they were sexually abused, they had indeed been given over by a family member. So let's imagine this little girl, let's say that she's seven years of age. Quite a lot of the stories that I've heard of, the child is around seven. Let's imagine this little girl seven and her mother says to her, I want you to go to Tom's house or Harry's house. I want you to go to their house. And so the little girl of seven goes to the house of Tom or Harry and is sexually abused. And that individual gives money to the mother. In fact, I remember when I was in Trinidad of an instance of a young girl, I believe it was on Facebook, and she was crying and she said, my mother is selling me for sex. And so when that video came out, the information that surrounded that video is that this young girl's mother was indeed selling her for sex. Now, let me be very clear here. In the example I've given of the seven-year-old, and this seven-year-old's mother instructs them to go to Tom or Harry's house. And when that child goes there, they're abused or raped. And then that mother receives money right there. That is trafficking. Now, let me explain so that we can make this clear and as simplistic as possible. So that there is no room for doubt or misunderstanding. You could be born in New York, live in New York, in Manhattan, and be trafficked in New York. You don't even have to leave your bedroom if your mother is your pimp. I'll say that again. You can be born in New York, live in New York, and be trafficked in New York from your bedroom. Trafficking does not require kidnapping. It does not require movement. Trafficking does not even require a stranger's intervention. Your mother can traffic you. Your father can traffic you. Your grandmother can traffic you. Your grandfather can traffic you. Your brother, sister, niece, nephew can traffic you. So I want to be clear about that because unfortunately when I bring my message around the world, quite often when I explain about trafficking, in a place like Trinidad and Tobago, the first thing that comes to mind, Venezuela. And I tell people very clearly and very frankly, I am not here to talk about Venezuelans. And I say that because the sad reality is that when I bring my message and everybody's thinking Venezuelans, they're not thinking about that 13-year-old girl next door who wears sexy outfits and is seen hanging out with older men. They're not thinking that. They're thinking she's promiscuous, her mum's not home. They're thinking a lot of things, but often they're not seeing the reality that she is being trafficked. When I drive around in Trinidad and Tobago and on occasion see a prostitute on a street corner, I see a human being first, a person who's vulnerable, a person who's exploited, and possibly even a person who has been trafficked. Can I say that is the same thoughts of the others in that neighborhood, the others in the area, in the country, the other drivers or passengers passing that same route? 
I don't think so. I think that where they stand and from their beliefs, perspective and understanding, what they're seeing is prostitute, she likes sex, she can't get herself a man, she hasn't got money, she's poor. They're thinking all of these things, but they're not thinking trafficking because she's not a Venezuelan, because she's not an immigrant. And so my desire is to get people to accept that trafficking does not require immigration, movement, lack of language. It doesn't require a foreigner to be in new lands, in a strange territory. And let's be realistic. If a person is trafficked from their house, their passport, their documents do not have to be taken away. Far too often when we talk about signs and identifiers in trafficking victims, what often comes about is the words passport, ID, documents, language barrier. I want to explain that a person who's trafficked does not have to have their documents taken away. A person who's trafficked may not look the way you expect them to. Why? Because you perceive that that person is just promiscuous, just runs around with men. That person is just looking for love, looking for attention. You're not seeing it for the reality. And even another young person spoke to me and explained that they believed they had been trafficked as a child. Now, when I heard their story, I was confused. And at the time, I didn't know if trafficking had indeed been involved in that instance. I never came back to them and said, I don't think this is trafficking. It's irrelevant. And to be honest with you, I may never come back to them and say, I don't think it was trafficking. Because what we need for trafficking is we need the various elements. We need the acts, the means, the purpose. Acts, A-C-T-S, the acts, the means, and the purpose. She explained to me that a babysitter of hers had said that she wants, the babysitter is a female, she wants the little girl to engage in sexual activity with the babysitter's brother. The little girl communicated this to her father and as a result of that, that babysitter never came back. I'm certainly really encouraged to hear and to know that this child was able to communicate to her father and that her father believed her and responded appropriately. The sad reality is that quite often parents don't believe, parents make excuses and as a result of that, not in this case, but in other cases, that babysitter would be able to take advantage of this child and sexually exploit them. Now, I cannot say, without knowing the full details of that story, I cannot say if it is trafficking or not. The question is, were the acts, means and purpose present? If all three elements are present, it is trafficking. But if an element is absent, that case would not be a human trafficking case. I remember reading something quite recently on the internet and it shared of a mother who was away at work during the lockdown and while she was absent from work, her son, who was 17 I believe, engaged in sexual activity with his sisters who were 13 and 15 according to the article. Now I don't know if this article is true or not, but what I will say is that we have to understand that when a mother is not home. Anything can take place. We cannot sit there and blame the mother. I don't believe that is appropriate. I believe we need to try to take a step back 
and analyze the situation to work out how did this happen and what caused it to happen. I will say I don't believe the mother is to blame. At the end of the day, there are many parents who go to work, leave their oldest son with their siblings and sexual abuse and rape does not take place. I did a training quite recently and what was interesting is that we talked about some of the myths that surround abuse, domestic violence and human trafficking. And one of the myths which I'm trying to dispel whenever I share my story of being abused is that when a person hears that an individual was under the influence of drugs or alcohol, what sometimes happens is the listener who hears that will equate the abuse, the rape, the domestic violence as being a result of the intoxication. But as was rightly explained to myself and the others in the room, alcohol does not cause domestic violence. It disinhibits. In other words, what they expressed was when a person is under the influence of drugs or alcohol, that merely gives them the courage or confidence to do what they wanted to do anyway. As they rightly explained, a person who is drunk does not commit domestic violence. Many people get drunk. In my culture in the UK, people get drunk on weekends. That is the sociable culture that we've created. Having fun in the UK from many who are engaged in that lifestyle, getting drunk is considered and deemed to be fun. But when those people get drunk, they may fall around on the street, they may have the confidence and courage to dance, but you don't hear about them going to a nightclub, getting drunk, and then going home and beating up their girlfriend or wife. No. Quite commonly, when they're getting drunk, it's so that they can be more relaxed, come out of their shell, so that they can enjoy the party on a higher level, on, a, on another playing field, so to speak. They become looser, they become freer. When a person buys a bottle of alcohol, when a person engages in illegal drugs, there is no warning symbol. Warning, you will abuse your stepdaughter. Warning, you will beat up your husband or wife. Warning, it doesn't say that. Alcohol simply gives them the courage and confidence. So I think it's important to note. Now this mother, she's away. She's not home. As a result of the lockdown, her children are home when they should be in school. And from the article that I read, it became quite apparent that according to the allegations, this son had sex with his 13-year-old and 15-year-old sisters and they became pregnant. Now reading the article, I think it could be fake news. I don't know. It could be fake news. But regardless of that, the reality is there are brothers, 17, 16, 15, 18, who have raped their sisters. In fact, I know of a young girl who told me, and I quote, I'm having sex with my brother. Now, when she told me that, she didn't say, I'm being abused. My brother is, is abusing me. She didn't say that. She said, I'm having sex with my brother. The way she communicated, that sounded consensual. Was it consensual? Because she's a minor, no. That would be deemed as... The crime of statutory rape. That's how it would be deemed. Now, when we communicated, she was not in a dangerous situation. 
it was not possible for intervention to take place. However, I knew, for example, every summer she spends time with her brother because he was her half brother, and so I knew I need to build a relationship with this child so that I can get the sufficient information and respond appropriately. If we're in January, I know that she is safe right now. I've got to build her trust. I need to obtain the information so that way I can pass that on to the relevant people. At the end of the day, when we sit and hear stories like that, our first reaction is shock, and then we go on to point the finger and to blame. That's how often our mindset works. That's how we often operate. We hear the story of Khadija. We blame the uncle. We blame the uncle's mother. Blame, blame, blame. How does that serve any purpose? Another story that I heard was of a young girl being abused sexually by three members of her family. Three members of her family, and when I heard that, it broke my heart. It broke my heart because the way that I saw it was she's not just been violated once, not twice, but by three separate family members. And the worst part of the story, if the story can get even worse, is that all three family members were Christian. Now understand, being Christian doesn't make us perfect. Being Christian doesn't make us sin-free. As believers, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. The fact of the matter is, we hear of pastors, deacons, elders committing adultery, engaging in immoral, illegal, criminal activity. We hear about that. Unfortunately, that is a part of life. But can you imagine? You're a devout Muslim. You're a devout Christian. A devout Buddhist. And then to hear the story of a child who is violated by three family members, and one of those family members, family member number four, pimps out that child. So that means four of your flesh and blood have taken away from you, and that is sad. And for me. I realize I'm not really cut out for the work of child protection, the work of anti-trafficking. I'm human first, Christian second, and it is a lot for me to be hearing these stories, to be reading articles online, to be seeing things in my Facebook group, and then to be working in domestic violence, coming not necessarily face to face because of the lockdown, but coming into contact with women. Who day after day after day tell me stories of abuse, of being violated, of being strangled, suffocated, raped. I am not cut out for this kind of work. And I said to myself, Do you know what? I think I, I need another job. I think I need to to kind of walk free. It is really hard. But as I've said it, and I'm going to keep saying it, God does not call the qualified; He qualifies the called. Me in my own flesh and blood, me in my own strength, me in my walk as a human being, as a Christian. I cannot wake up every day and spend forty hours, four zero, listening to stories of women being abused by their husband, by their boyfriend, by their partner, and then making a podcast and then doing a Zoom meeting. It is too much and it is overwhelming. And that's why self-care is important. 
The Bible says people perish for lack of knowledge. I feel I have an obligation to educate people. And truth be told, my dream is to no longer be sitting in an office. Okay, it's from home, right? If I work from home, it's the room next door. But my dream and my desire is to not be working from an office. My dream and desire is to get up and to go into the world. The Bible says, go forth, go forth and make disciples. I want to go forth and I want to share my message of empowerment. I want to bring breakthrough into people's lives. Sitting down and listening to story upon story upon story, that is a lot to deal with and I'm only human. I sleep well at night, well as well as I can with insomnia. But for me, I feel that I'm almost constrained. I'm in a box and I want to get out of this box. I have a message. I want to go to communities. If I hear of a story of rape in Chennai, I want to go to Chennai. I want to go to that same church congregation where I know that somebody in there violated a child. I want to go to that remote village in Africa. I want to go to that remote village in the Caribbean. I want to take my message right to the horse's mouth. As we say it in England, you want to hear it from the horse's mouth? I want to go to these communities, to these churches, to these villages. I want to take my message. I want to look eye to eye in the face of some of these men and women who violated their daughter, stepdaughter, granddaughter, niece, nephew. I want to go there. I want to share my message. Something is seriously wrong with individuals who feel the need, the desire to pimp out their family members, who feel the need and desire to sexually exploit their family members. Something is wrong. We all talk about stranger danger. We need to get that out of our heads. It is not the people that you don't know. It is not the people that you don't trust. It is the very same people that you trust, the very same caregivers who are exploiting. And something needs to change. And this abuse and exploitation, it needs to stop. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that the information you've received today has been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education. And when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it can help us to safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics I've talked about in this week and prior episodes, you can get a copy of my book. We can all learn from one another. And this series is desired to impact and change not just your life, but the lives of people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changing, C-A-S-E-S dot org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? Can you keep a secret?